Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi there, and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. And today I'm going to talk a little bit about the uh, origins of MI5, the British Security Service, uh, the sister service to MI6, Britain's Overseas Intelligence uh, Service, and the context in 1909 in which MI5 was uh, created. Now the thing uh, that always complicates matters with intelligence histories is that you have official and unofficial versions. Official versions obviously come from uh, official archives, but there are always limits on what the historian can and cannot uh, write. Um, they have to be uh, go through all sorts of vetting processes. Unofficial versions are supposedly uh, un- inhibited by this, but then again they tend to have less access to um, useful and interesting things. So with intelligence histories, you kind of have to get what you can from them and take what you read with something of a uh, a pinch of salt. Um, this comes from Defence of the Realm by Christopher Andrew. And Christopher Andrew, if you guys are fans of intelligence history, um, wrote the, the Mitrikin Archive along with uh, Vasily Mitrikin, um, which was an enormous haul of secret um, Soviet uh, files which were uh, brought out, smuggled out of the Soviet Union after uh, the end of the, the Cold War and the, the British were fortunate enough um, at their uh, at one of their embassies in the Baltic states um, to have Mitrikin essentially uh, walk in with suitcases of, of information um, which they happily spirited back home to, to the UK. Um, so the, uh, the, the follow-up um, both the Mitrikin archive books are really, really interesting, uh, interesting reads. But this is the uh, official history of, of MI5. So the Security Service, um, MI5, and the Secret Intelligence Service, or SIS, or MI6 as it was known, both began operations in October 1909 uh, as one organisation, uh, the Secret Service Bureau, 
Um, and this was in premises that were rented by a detective, private detective, um, the retired chief inspector Edward Drew um, on Victoria Street in London. Um, the two officers who staffed it, who, who later have kind of gone down uh, in sort of intelligence history and have been variously fictionalised by Ian Fleming and the likes, um, were Commander Mansfield Cumming, or C, um, and Vernon Cal. And the two of them met in October 1909. Um, Cummings' diary said, um, where they had a, a, a yarn over the future and agreed to work together for the success of the cause. What cause was he talking about? The security of Great Britain, which was in the eyes of the Liberal government at the time, coming in under increasing strain from an ever more assertive and um, aggressive Germany. Britain's press, the uh, popular publishing um, of the time, pulp novels and um, plays, all focused on the, uh, the alarming threat of German spies in Britain. How many German spies there actually were in Britain is very difficult to ascertain, probably far fewer than the public imagination liked to believe. But the issue of naval secrets and the uh, naval arms race that was ongoing between Britain and Germany caused for uh, a great deal of uh, heightened tension and anxiety. The creation of the Secret Service Bureau was down to um, the decisions of a particular subcommittee, the Committee of Imperial Defence, which was the uh, chief uh, governmental body for planning the defence of um, Great Britain and the rest of the, the British Empire. Um, <clears throat> the committee had been told uh, in March that year by Herbert Asquith, the Prime Minister, to, and I quote, Consider the nature and extent of foreign espionage that is present taking uh, that is at present taking place within this country and the danger to which it might expose us. The reason why Asquith was uh, asking the committee to create organisations to answer this question was because of the the, the heightened sense of alarm and anxiety about um, foreign subversion. On the 24th of July, the committee reported to Asquith and said, The evidence which was produced left no doubt in the minds of the subcommittee that an extensive system of German espionage exists in this country and that we have no organisation for keeping in touch with that espionage and for accurately determining its extent or objectives. This isn't to say that Britain had no history of uh, counter-espionage or had no track record in dealing with um, foreign undesirables. Uh, the, the British special branch that had existed since uh, as an arm of um, the CID, Criminal Investigation Department of the, the Metropolitan Police, um, for uh, many decades before 1900, had uh, a very good track record of um, keeping tabs on and arresting and often imprisoning foreign subversives. Um, the anarchist movement across Europe that flocked to London as they saw it as a kind of a safe place 
to hunker down, particularly from um, parts of the Russian Empire, often had uh, special branch officers tailing them and keeping eyes on, on them. And special branch officers also kept close relations with other European uh, counter-subversive um, police organisations. It's important to remember, of course, that uh, MI5 and uh, MI6 are not police forces. They are civil servants. They are uh, part of the, the kind of the machinery of government. They don't have powers of arrest. Uh, instead, they carry out um, jobs that are assigned to them ultimately by government ministers, the Home Secretary and the Foreign Secretary, respectively. The view that Britain gave to the outside world about its intelligence capabilities was quite different. Uh, there was an entire generation of spy novelists in the Edwardian area, um, such as William Lecoe, um, who made uh, a, a fictionalised version, uh, sort of Ed, the Edwardian sort of uh, Ian Fleming in a way, um, that the uh, British Secret Service was amongst the most sophisticated widespread in the world. Uh, Lecoe said to his readers, the British Secret Service, although never so prominently before the public as those unscrupulous agents provocateurs of France and Russia, is nevertheless equally active. It works in science and secrecy, uh, yet, main, yet many are its successful counterplots against the machinations of England's enemies. This was uh, largely fictional. Lecoe had also um, been something of a kind of a fantasist and believed that he had been part of these these tales of daring do, which certainly certainly wasn't the case. Um, the uh, book in uh, Secrets of the Foreign Office that he wrote in 1903, um, he presented himself as the kind of the, the main protagonist, uh, the amazingly titled secret agent Duckworth Drew, um, and the plot of the book was a kind of thinly veiled um, anti-French uh, jingoism. And it's interesting that this is just on the eve of the Entente Cordiale, when there is this fundamental shift in uh, Anglo-French relations, uh, which happens in 1904, and the entire axis of European politics begins to shift um, as the uh, more as Germany is seen as the the more significant threat, so novels about um, the the villainous French are replaced by novels about the the terrifying threat of Germany. Another significant writer of the time is of course uh, Rudyard Kipling, um, who created a fictional portrayal of the the Great Game. The a uh, long uh, war of uh, agents and spies uh, in the Himalayas uh, on the northern frontier of the British Raj uh, against the uh, the Russians who were um, making all sorts of inroads into Afghanistan and Persia. And once again, uh, Rudyard Kipling gave the impression that the uh, British intelligence network was a vast and powerful and complex and uh, ultimately unknowably brilliant system, uh, and this certainly wasn't the case. He referred to it as the great game that never ceases day and night throughout India. So the reality was quite different. Britain had a relatively small 
um, and poorly funded uh, set of military and naval intelligence uh, departments. They had little capacity to collect secret intelligence, few agents, and virtually nobody there to uh, sift the intelligence and make sense of it. The uh, Metropolitan Police Special Branch, as I previously mentioned, uh, was founded in 1883, and it was mainly um, there to counter the threat from Irish Republican terrorism, from the Fenians, um, who had carried a, a, a mainland terror campaign to uh, towns and cities in, in England. But also um, the uh, relationship between the Fenians and uh, the European anarchist movement um, which was a kind of a complicated one, uh, and one not based on a kind of a, a complete and equal understanding, also drew special branch uh, in to, um, to keep an eye on uh, European anarchists in London. All three of these organisations were uh, so fringe and so minor that they had little clout in Whitehall, um, they were not listened to by mandarins or members of parliament particularly. And the um, one comparison um, is quite apt. Spencer Wilkinson, who was the first professor of war at Oxford University, said that the war officer's use of uh, in their intelligence department during the Boer War um, from 1992 um, was rather like a man who kept a small brain for occasional use in his waistcoat pocket and ran his head by clockwork. And the fact that the Boer War had been such a, a hard-won and rather pyrrhic victory would uh, tend to suggest that uh, intelligence needed a significant overhaul. Any pressure for reform of the intelligence system fizzled out uh, once the, the war ended in 1902, uh, and the immediate crisis appeared to have passed. Instead, a kind of a complacency settled back into the army and the civil service, saying, well, you know, we, we managed to win it without any of this, uh, this unnecessary stuff. And if you look you know, forward by a decade to the beginnings of the First World War, again, there's a similar sort of conservatism with a small c um, uh, about other kinds of innovations, uh, technological innovations, things like aircraft, um, that really have to prove themselves uh, long-term on the battlefield. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. 
If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Before they're accepted as military orthodoxy uh, by anyone at all. The first um, beginnings of uh, intelligence and counterintelligence departments emerged in 1903. They were uh, extremely small um, parts of the uh, Directorate of Military Operations within the War Office. Um, one was called MO2, the other was called MO3. Um, MO2 being Foreign Intelligence and MO3 was the direct predecessor of MI5, um, and these organisations um, were... The fact that they are so underfunded gives you a clue as to how significant they were seen as being. They were really kind of concessions towards intelligence rather than intelligence work uh, themselves. The uh, head of uh, the special branch um, was given uh, the task of carrying out secret investigations for both organisations um, and became later the chief detective in the um, uh, security service in uh, MI5 because of course um, civil servants needed actual policemen there to carry out the kind of investigative work that they were actually uh, legally entitled uh, to do. The detective in question uh, one William Melville uh, resigned from Special Branch. Um, his appointment to uh, MO3 wasn't uh, announced; it was kept secret. Um, and the, the 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 Times reported on the day that Scotland Yard lost the services of the most celebrated detective of the day. Um, so the the facade of his retirement was carried by. Uh, Melville being given um, the uh, the MVO award, the member of the Royal Victorian Order, um, and he was, on the surface of things, able to live out the life of a, a kind of a, a well thought of public former public servant, but instead managed to uh, continue working for MO3 and then later for MI5. Melville was, of course, aware about the penetration of Britain by German intelligence, but also he managed to keep relatively cordial relations with German intelligence during his particular time prior to 1909. For example, he was well acquainted with Gustav Steinhauer, who in 1901 had become uh, head of the British section of the German Admiralty's intelligence service, the Nachtrechten Abteilung, um, or the N service. Uh, Steinhauer had been the criminal commissioner of uh, the Berlin police, and he was referred to as the Kaiser's spy, and had trained in America with the famous uh, American private detective Pinkerton Agency in Chicago and he spoke English uh, fluently with uh, an American accent as a result and he came with the Kaiser 
to England um, when the Kaiser visited uh, his grandmother, uh, Queen Victoria, in 1901, as uh, Queen Victoria was dying, and later when the Kaiser um, attended Victoria's funeral and became famously enormously jealous at the size and the prestige of the, the British Royal Fleet, uh, Royal Navy. Um, the uh, figure of uh, Steinhauer was always referred to as a kind of a, a tall, handsome, Teutonic uh, figure, as you'd imagine, um, and he, both he and Melville uh, met, and they, they dined together, enjoying uh, the, the kind of luxuries that spies later on uh, would, would dream of. Uh, unfortunately for um, fans of British espionage, uh, the reality of the kind of the higher living of, that is depicted in Ian Fleming novels of the, the kind of the conspicuous consumption of James Bond later on in the decade in the 50s and 60s um, was not the experience and hasn't been the experience of most secret intelligence officers. In fact, the rather drab, uh, dreary, um, bleak world of Le Carre novels is, is, is far more accurate. But we, you had uh, Melville uh, taking his uh, German opposite number to dinner um, at, the, at the Strand um, and over fine wines and cigars, the sort of thing that kind of in, in your imagination you rather hope happens. And the two of them were uh, chiefly interested in stopping um, Russian uh, and uh, other European anarchists and nihilists from carrying out assassinations. Um, the number of assassinations carried out against European heads of state successfully in the second half of the 19th, 19th century is actually uh, quite staggering. Uh, obviously, figures like uh, Alexander II in 1881 stand out, but there are there were um, uh, there were a large number of attempted and indeed successful assassination attempts. So um, uh, Melville, having been formerly of Special Branch. Um, was was very keen to do whatever it took um, to prevent these sorts of things from, from happening. Not just German intelligence, but Russian intelligence was closely monitored in the, the first decade of the 20th century. The, the relations between Russia were, in theory, warming in, in this time, um, but after only after really the, the disaster of the Russo-Japanese War, um, the Russian intelligence services, previously known as the Third Section and then renamed the Okhrana, um, were led by an extraordinary figure, Pyotr Rachkovsky. Uh, and if you read um, Alex uh, Butterworth's amazing book, uh, The World That Never Was. It gives you a very uh, interesting and complicated history of Rachkovsky, um, who was, uh, without a doubt, one of the kind of the great spy masters of the nineteenth century. Often, when Rachkovsky uh, would visit um, London, he would uh, station himself in the Savoy Hotel with his uh, entourage of uh, bodyguards and agents. And Melville knew that he would uh, be there. He, uh, Rechkovsky, came and visited Melville uh, at Scotland Yard when he was uh, chief of um, the 
when he was a, a special branch officer. Um, and it was no secret to Melville and to um, his colleagues that um, one of the ways in which uh, Radzikowski and the Akrana worked in the West uh, was that they would uh, carry out false flag operations and agent provocateur operations, uh, bombings that uh, and assassinations that appeared to have the, hand, the uh, hallmark of anarchists upon them, but in reality were carried out by Russian agents. In addition to this, it's likely that Radzikowski was the creator of uh, the fabricated, um, completely false protocols of the elders of Zion, which uh, were supposedly, supposedly the minutes of a meeting uh, by Jewish Zionists for a, uh, a takeover of, of the world. Um, the, the protocols obviously being the kind of the, the founding text of 20th century uh, violent anti-Semitism and a, a, a praised obviously by the likes of, of Hitler and others. However, between 1905 and 1907, there is a pivot from focusing on uh, Russian to German espionage. And within the popular press and within political discourse in Britain, the uh, spectre of Germany as a danger uh, dramatically increases. Um, There were all sorts of anecdotal stories by uh, supposedly well-meaning members of the public about suspicious Germans they may have met and Germans they'd seen on trains who seemed to be up to no good um, and German neighbours who were acting in strange ways, often entirely innocently. Um, and obviously there were actually a, you know, a large number of German emigres and uh, business people and uh, others working and living in Britain entirely peaceably. Melville believed in 1906 that he'd found a group of German spies in Epping. He said, I mentioned to the superintendent of police at Epping that the Germans might be spies. He laughed at this idea as being ridiculous, adding, Spies? What could they spy here? Argument was useless. The facts remained that undoubtedly they were spies, and their business, I should say, was to become thoroughly conversant with the routes from the sea coast to London and thus to be able to guide a German army landed in this country. And this was a, a kind of significant part of uh, uh, British anxieties, um, and you can see it in novels like Erskine Childers' uh, The Riddle of the Sands. Now, how much there was a coherent plan or a coherent intelligence-gathering operation to uh, create information that would help uh, an invasion of Britain is perhaps is unknown, and we shall uh, delve further into intelligence histories on this pretty soon. But what is clear is that there were anxieties about this, and perhaps these reflected wider anxieties about Britain's role in the world, and Britain's place in the world, and Britain's relatively relative the decline the relative decline of Britain's advantages over competitors like Germany in terms of uh, economics, um, industry and uh, military power by the end of the the 19th century. So perhaps the beginnings of MI5 and our intelligence services were based more in the 
the worries and fears of the British than in the actual threats that enemies posed. Not to suggest that there were none of those, but certainly it's possible for policy to be uh, to be guided by all manner of kind of anxieties and illusions, uh, as even it is today. Anyway, thanks very much for listening, and you can check out some of my uh, more long-form history writing and journalism on our Patreon page. Uh, you may even want to become a patron. Uh, it would certainly help the podcast to continue going and being the uh, success that it is. Um, if you can do so, then check out the link that goes with this podcast, and I'll catch you on the next uh, episode. Thanks very much. All the best. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.